Welcome back to our next edition of the CBB Review Studio Podcast. I am Dan Siegel, joined as always by my co-host Ben Anderson. Today we are also joined by our own Matt Majinski, and we are continuing once again our CBB Rank Countdown from 100 to 1 in the 100 days leading up to the regular season for 2023 to 2024. We have team profiles on the CBB Review website every single day, and we are going to be previewing teams 55 through 51 on this episode of CBB Review Studio. So let's get into it. Number 55, and that is the Texas Tech Red Raiders. If you were watching on YouTube, just a little typo. It should say 55 here. But yeah, Texas Tech had a down year last year, just 5-13 and 13 in conference play. There are a number of reasons why, but it doesn't really matter now because Grant McCaslin comes in from North Texas – and he hopes to restore that defense-first mentality that was really the reason they got to the national championship in 2019, had that success back with Chris Beard, seems like a long time ago. But, Ben, what's our outlook here on this Texas Tech team right now? Yeah, you bring up the defense of Grant McCaslin, and I think that's going to be huge, bringing that culture back to Texas Tech and to Lubbock. But the question for me is, what is the tempo going to look like? Texas Tech is not only known for their defense, but also for their tempo being the slowest team in Division One, I, I believe, the past two years, right? So it'll be interesting to see whether he thinks that will work as well in the Big 12 as it did in Conference USA, where the mean green were for his stint there. Another thing that's interesting about this team as we move into the roster is that it's almost giving me a, like a Florida State light vibes, where there there isn't a star on the roster, in my opinion, but there's eight or nine guys that can each average, you know, nine points a game and five rebounds. And they're all going to be pretty much interchangeable. There are a lot of transfers here. So it'll be always interesting to see how they link together, how they mix and how they mesh. This might be a team where they get off to a slow start, maybe finish like 500 in the non-con and then move um, and sort of gel at the end. But the problem is, right, if you gel at the end, you're still playing big 12 teams. So you might not see that record in year one, but I, I do think this is a good hire for for McCaslin, or for Texas Tech in McCaslin, and I'm interested to see how this will go. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, Ben, I think that it's a Texas Tech team that I'll be honest, I'm not that high on overall. Like I know 56 isn't like we're putting them in the top 25 or anything. Um, what intrigues me about this Red Raiders team, though, is the guard play, right? You see what Grant McCaslin did at North Texas. They had two great guards last year, really one great guard in Tyler Perry, but their top two leading scorers were guards. You're probably going to see the same thing with this Red Raiders team. While they have a few guys on the wing and they pick up Warren Washington from Arizona State along with Devin Cambridge, Devin Cambridge, it's going to be Pop Isaacs and Joe Toussaint at the guard. And I think that's what intrigues me the most about this Texas Tech team is can those guys really bring this team uh, above in the Big 12. Where I'm a little bit scared about this team is is past that. Like I, It's a deep team. They have players here, but they don't seem like they have a star. And I think that's where a lot of Big 12 teams have that. Texas Tech kind of lacks that. So, again, really like their backcourt. Just not really sure about the overall makeup of this team. But in year one of a new coach with a ton of transfers, it, it, it's tough to ever put something that you you really like on a roster like that. And another thing I do, I, I side more with Ben in terms of liking the roster, but I also worry about just how everything comes together in year one where 
it's a first year head coach and we've had, we've seen so many times where a lot of us, maybe we've even as a site been guilty of it. We've seen first year head coaches with the, with great rosters and we just slayed them in to have big breakout seasons compared to the previous year. And sometimes it just takes time. Even if you get everybody from the transfer portal. And I, I love the makeup that Texas tech got from the transfer portal, all power conference transfers pretty much and all proven guys from the power conference levels. But what do we think of the just real quick, what do we think of the result of the year of the season for Texas Tech when all is said and done? I see it personally as like a fringe tournament team, which basically in the Big 12, if you could get outside of that basement, you should be there. And that's where I think Texas Tech is kind of on the cusp of this this coming year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think they're on pace. This is a classic like ninth place or tenth place finish in the Big Twelve, um, and that'll be, you know, a three seed in that NIT or whatever. Yep, hundred percent. Right. I agree with you both. All right, number fifty-four, Oklahoma State, also a very similar team in the same conference, a program that is actually brought up in this article. They have not finished higher than fifth in the Big Twelve in the whole entire six-year Mike Boynton tenure, but they've been competitive nonetheless. They did miss out on the tournament last year. They were the first team out, I believe. And this year, they this offseason, I should say, they made another splash with freshman recruiting. They bring in five guys, two of which are in the top 50 nationally. So, Matt, I'll let you go first for this one. Do we think this freshman class could be very – positive for Oklahoma State right away or will it take maybe a year or so to really see the results I think at Oklahoma State there's got to be some worry heading into this year right you lose Avery Anderson the third a generational player for a program like Oklahoma State which doesn't get guys like him all that often where you know he's been the guy at Oklahoma State pretty much since Kate Cunningham left um as far as the freshmen then they come in and there's some good freshmen on this team, but there's a chance that Oklahoma State is going to have to start two of them. Eric Daly Jr., a top 60-rated recruit by 247. Brandon Garrison, a much better-rated recruit. He's like kind of like fringe, almost top 30, so he's pretty close to a five-star if you go by that. I projected them as my starters because I think that those are the best two players Oklahoma State can offer on the court this season at power forward and center. They have Isaiah Miranda, but he didn't even play at NC state. He redshirted. So does that mean he wasn't talented enough as a freshman? Like who knows where his skill set is at in power conference basketball right now. And Mike Marsh, a guy who averaged 10 points a game, but at Jacksonville, how does 10 points per game translate to the big 12? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a lot. So you look at Eric Daly jr. You look at Brandon Garrison, two freshmen that are going to have to start for this team. They're going to have to learn from this team. They're going to have to learn from Bryce Thompson. He's the key to this Oklahoma State Cowboys team. If Bryce Thompson continues to rely on his three-point shot, we're not going to see a great Cowboys team. But if he decides to become more active, use his good mid-range game, be more aggressive in driving to the bucket, he could be the star of this team, and it could help the freshmen along. Because usually when you're a high-rated freshman, you need to learn from someone experienced and Bryce Thompson is that guy I'll end on this the future of Oklahoma State basketball is good because I don't see any of these guys as one and done players so 
in the age of the transfer portal, if, if they decide to stay with the Cowboys and obviously you're always going to have players leaving and going, I mean, this could be one of the most dominant front courts in the country next year, but heading into this year, it's going to be a struggle because starting two freshmen, if that is the route that Mike Boynton chooses, that's risky. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you just said there. Matt really hit the nail on the head. It's all about the front court. And if you trust these players, if you think they have high upside, if you think they can make immediate impacts in the Big 12, then you probably are higher on Oklahoma State than I am. But especially if you're starting a front court player, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little. They lost a ton of production in that area last time. Caleb Boone, Musa Cisse, and Tyree Smith all transferred out of the program. And I don't think a lot of that was expected, given the fact that they don't have a, lot, a bunch coming back in, right? And if you have a guy like Mike Marsh being your most experienced front court player returning, that's not ideal, especially in the Big 12. But I do think their guards are good. Like, I really, I like the three-headed monster of Javon Small, John Michael Wright, and Bryce Thompson. I think they're going to give opponents a lot of headaches. But the question is, right, do you think that the front court will be ready by the time they need to be ready? All right, I think you guys pretty much said it all, so we're going to move on to number 53, the Syracuse Orange, where they are going to start a completely new era in the program. Jim Beheim there for 47 years, and they will promote from within. Adrian Autry, I'll go to Matt first again because Matt is the Syracuse guy here. So roster aside, the biggest thing I think we'll have to get used to is the fact that when teams – are playing Syracuse, we're not going to see his zone defense all the time. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, and that made this, for how much I follow Syracuse, as you all know, this was tough to come up with a projected rotation because of certain players that Jim Beheim would keep in the doghouse. You don't know what Red Autry is going to do with that. So Adrian Autry inherits a good team. We know this backcourt can be one of the best backcourts in the ACC, if not the entire country. Judah Mintz is a star. J.J. Starling could be a star. He already has it in the name, so he's just waiting on the basketball game to follow up. Where I do like this Syracuse team, and I, I like reason to believe that this team can improve, is to see what Adrian Autry decides to do with some of the other returning players, namely Benny Williams, because that was a guy that Jim Beheim kept in the doghouse last season. He didn't want Williams uh, kind of playing like a guard or a wing. He wanted him to be down low and be aggressive. Williams didn't seem to catch on. But with the new defense and everything like that, Red Autry wants to go fast. Benny Williams can play fast, faster than most six foot nine guys can. So I think he could have an increased role on this team. And then you bring back Justin Taylor, Malik Brown, and Chris Bell, three wing players who all averaged over four points per game as freshmen last season. So to get that kind of production back, I'd have to think that one of them would blossom into a really good sophomore at this point. I know, you know, not everyone has the same career path, but something's going to happen there. So I like where Syracuse is headed, and a lot of it is because we don't know what this team is going to be. We know that it's not going to be the zone defense all the time, and it's going to be a completely different team that we have seen for the past 47 years, and there, there's reason to be excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like this breakdown. I think you could argue that, Syracuse has the best in like rising sophomore class in the entire country. I mean, if you look at who they have in that that fits that category, you're talking about Mintz, Starling, Bell, Malik Brown, uh, Justin Taylor, and even if you go down like Chance Westry, the the transfer from Auburn, right? That's just a stacked 
single recruiting class that that the Orange were able to bring in. I'm really interested in that. I do think one potential question mark would be the center position. They bring in Naheem McLeod from Florida State. Um, but again, he comes from the seminal structure of you don't play more than 20 minutes a game, really. So you never, never know how that's going to uh, shake out. But he is 7'4", so I'd love to see him on the court nevertheless. Um, and then you also have Peter Carey as well, who's a 6'11 sophomore who um, had an injury last year. But is coming back for his for his second season. If you get a good player at that position, I think that really makes the orange that much more dangerous. But other other than that, I mean, you know, we gotta see what it looks like for them to play man defense first of all, yeah. um, and then second of all, I don't think they'll have trouble scoring. Um, it's just gonna be on that defensive end is where I'm most interested. And and for what it's worth, I think Autry will have a more modern approach. I think his approach will play to the strength of the players a little bit more. Obviously, Bayheim's zone defense has done amazing things in the college basketball world, but he's, it could also be attributed to the struggles of the recent years of Syracuse basketball. And I think things are set up for it to go back to what we're used to in a Syracuse defense production-wise this coming season, just, just from a schematic perspective. But again, what it exactly looks like, we don't know because we have not seen it in action. So that's something I'm excited to see. Number 52 on our list is Ohio State, who is coming off of what is truly a forgettable season. However, I, I trust what Holtman has done in most years with this program, which is get to the NCAA tournament. Of course, not really make it out of the first weekend, but get there. And honestly, Ben, I think the roster looks perfectly capable. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that you have the opportunity to make the tournament with this roster. I'm a little bit worried about their wing production scoring. They did lose a fair bit on that side of the ball, uh, particularly with Bryce Sensball and Justice Suing and even Sean McPeel, if you want to call him that, all leaving the program. They do bring in Jamison Battle, which I think is a really good pickup. He was a transfer from Minnesota who put up solid numbers on, albeit a bad Golden Gophers team, but he still put up put up some points. We, we see that in the Big Ten, at the Big Ten level. Um Bruce Thornton is the key player to return here, right? When Isaac Likely graduates now, he is the guy at, at the point of attack there. Um, and then Zeki as well returning, I think is pretty key key there too. So overall, it's a well-rounded team. I don't know how, how high their ceiling is. And that's something I'd be a little bit concerned about. And, you know, you can make the argument that should the expectation at Ohio State be just making the tournament and then bouncing in the first weekend every year with the with the resources and the potential capabilities that that athletic department has? I don't know, but that's sort of what you get out of Chris Holtman at this point, and I think that's a reasonable expectation going into this season. Yeah, I mean, Chris Holtman has kept this Ohio State team competitive, but he hasn't been able to replicate what Ohio State was before he got there. And I think that's my concern is this roster doesn't really appeal me in a way where I think that that's going to change. It kind of seems like the same Ohio State team, a reason why we have them 52nd on our you know preseason rankings to begin with. If, if we thought that this was going to be a change in the Chris Holtman era, Ohio State would be in the top 25 right now. But we didn't see that last year. Where I think this team really could make an improvement is if Jamison Battle can be the star that he was at Minnesota because now he'll have better players around him. You have Bruce Thornton, who was a pretty good player as a freshman. He's back. Zed Key is a good player to have in the front court. So there's pieces here on this Ohio State team to be good, but we just haven't seen them take that step under Chris Holtman. I think he's a good coach. 
I'm just wondering if he's the right coach because Ohio State was pretty darn good. Uh, you know, when I was growing up in the mid to you know mid 2000s to the 2010s, I mean, Ohio State was there. They were a top team. Uh, they haven't really uh, been able to get back to that under him. And I just want to reiterate the thing about the three point rate for the Buckeyes and how it's completely fallen or three point, really like three point volume of made shots for the Buckeyes and how it has completely fallen off the cliff since basically two years ago, the last time they were good. And you were also losing your best three point shooters in Sensabaugh and Sean McNeil. So just goes back to the efficiency thing. Battle's got to be better than he was last year. So that, that's what I got in Ohio state. Let's move on to our final team. We're going to talk about today. The 51st ranked New Mexico Lobo is one of the trendy mid-majors last year, at least early on. They kind of faded off during Mountain West Conference play. The talent's undeniable throughout the roster, but I think it really starts with their backcourt in Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn. So, Ben, I'll start with you again. Are you as intrigued by this New Mexico offense as I am, and do you think their defense – could be good enough to compete with the San Diego States of the world, the Boise States of the world with the Nelly Joseph, the Iona transfer being huge in that respect, in my opinion. Yeah, I, so I'll be completely honest uh, out here. I was, they came across as the number 51 team on our list and I thought, wow, that's a little high, right? I just didn't remember thinking New Mexico was quite this level. But then I looked at the roster and I was convinced otherwise, right? You mentioned the backcourt already, and that is the key to this whole operation with with House and Mashburn just being absolute scoring machines there. Um, there, they That is the best backcourt in the Mountain West, pretty clearly, in my opinion. And then you do lose a couple of pieces like Morris Udazi and uh, Josiah Alec that I was a little bit concerned about. That's another reason why I didn't think they were going to be this quite this high. But when you bring in Nelly Jr. Joseph, from Iona. Um, so Rick Pitino also obviously saw something in him. Um, so I think that would be a good pickup no matter what. And you also have like Mustafa Amzil and Jamaral Baker, who is somehow still in college. I texted, I texted Dan this. I couldn't believe it when I, when he came across my screen on the roster there. Right. But um, you do have a ton of pieces and it doesn't feel like a mountain West team. It feels something like it's a step higher than that, in my opinion. And when you combine that with the fact that I don't think San Diego state's going to be as good as they were last year, I don't think like Boise State's gonna be good. I'm actually pretty high on the Broncos, but I don't I still don't think that it's some world beater top fifteen team like maybe like a BYU with Jimmer was or something like that. When you combine those two things together, um, I do think they are the team to beat in the Mountain West. You know, I've never been to the state of New Mexico before, and now I have a reason to buy a plane ticket to New Mexico because this team is going to be must watch basketball Jalen house and Jamal Mashburn we can talk that to death these guys combined for 36 points per game in the mountain west last year they might be the best backcourt in the pac 12 if New Mexico played there that's how good they are you guys talk about Nelly Jr. Joseph I mean that guy is a winner that guy played under Rick Pitino now he's gonna play under Richard Pitino he is a fantastic he's probably one of the the best fits in the entire transfer portal um, I don't even know. Do we even bring up Isaac Mushia from Texas A&M Corpus Christi? I mean, that's another guy who can add points to this Mountain West team. Mustafa Amzil, like all up and down this list, honestly, one through seven, like starting lineup through six man, seventh man is a legit roster. 51 
I, I said the same thing then. I didn't know what New Mexico had coming in until I, I did some research on this team. I was like, that that doesn't seem right. They weren't that good last year. I'll be honest. Th- this looks like a tw- top 25 team on paper. This looks like a team that could be like what San Diego State was a few years ago with Malachi Flynn. That's how much I believe in New Mexico. They have the coach. They have the players. Now we just need to see a play out. I'm just checking out the schedule. Okay, so they, the Mountain West Conference schedule has not come out yet, and it doesn't seem like they play anybody too incredible in the – non-conference slate but yeah i mean this offense is just it's just incredible like i i agree with all the sentiments that were previously stated and you guys have managed to convince me that they really could arguably be right there with san diego state at the top i think we ranked the mountain west teams in the top three correctly i think it does go in order san diego state new mexico boise state but it's a, it's a lot closer to a 1A, 1B than I thought. New Mexico definitely has the best roster, but San Diego State has done it before. They're coming off of a national championship appearance. Like, you can't you not put them at the top of the Mountain West, but I am excited for some real heavyweight battles. And it's the real contrast in style. San Diego State's going to muck it up and play good defense. New Mexico State's just going to run, 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 run and score 80, 85 points on you every night, so... Watch Mountain West basketball. That's basically my point. It's such, it's such an incredible conference. It's really – I keep saying this, but it's so true. It's replaced what the A-10 was like five to seven years ago. And as a UMass student, that's sad for me to say, but it's it's kind of true. So Mountain West is just one of my favorite conferences to watch. Um, anything else before I head off for the night? No. I think we covered it. All right. Well, that will do it for today's edition of the CBB Review Studio Podcast. Thanks for watching and listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel here at YouTube if you have found us there or if you have found us on any of our audio platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review as well. Appreciate you guys. Thanks again for watching and listening and take care.